Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. On this episode, you will hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe discuss what happened in the financial markets over the past several weeks, the key geopolitical risks as we look at 2023, and the case for why it can be a good idea to stay invested in stocks even during difficult times in the equity market. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. I'm Anthony Wilhelms, your host. Joining me today, as usual, are Mike Steppe and Adam Longley uh, with our investment committee and leaders of the investment strategy at Nicolay Wealth Management. Mike and Adam, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Hello. A lot to cover, and I can't wait to dig in. Mike, will you kick us off with an update on what has happened in financial markets over the past few weeks? Hello, everyone. Sure. As we enter into the fall, the financial markets are sort of wrestling with five key themes. The first one is that the economy is slowing. Second is labor is scarce. Third, inflation is a sticky problem, especially when you look at wages and rents. Fourth, the Fed is tightening and that's pushing up interest rates. And fifth, the US dollar is strong. So that's sort of the context of what we're seeing in the financial markets. And over the last couple of weeks, the US equities have lost some momentum and interest rates have shifted higher. The basic idea is investors remain worried that the Fed will push overnight rates up too much and too fast, and this will push the U.S. economy into a recession. The yield curve has stayed inverted for the past two months, with two-year issues yielding 20 basis points right now, more than 10-year maturity issues. And equity prices have adjusted lower because of the higher inflationary pressures and lower earnings expectations for next year. So we've had these adjustments and it's it's been a volatile last couple of months over the summer. That's sort of the backdrop, Anthony. Thanks, Mike. Well, and it felt like a, a good volatile couple of months in the middle of summer or month as we saw equities move upward. But the last few weeks, Adam, have been a bit less uh, pleasant. Can you give us an update on what's happening in equity markets? Sure. Um, you know, in the equity markets, if you can remember all the way back to the, the first trading day of the year, January 3rd, you know, the market was up about half a percent. We had a positive year-to-date return at that point after one day. But then since then, it's, it's basically been, been downhill as inflation and then the subsequent increase in interest rates um, have been very large headwinds to the equity market so far this year. The market did bottom so far, at least in, in mid-June, at, at a point where it was down 23%. That did make it a, an official bear market. Off that mid-June low, the market then rallied up over 17% in the span of two months. That's a, a good reason and, and point to highlight why you know we encourage people to stay invested and to think long-term. These short periods of high positive returns are very unpredictable. And if you miss them, it can have a large negative impact on your wealth. Um, This turns uh, up in returns in in mid-June, as returns were positive through mid-June through mid-August, is really driven by 
the belief that inflation was slowing down and that the Fed wouldn't need to be as aggressive on increasing rates. At one point, the market was pricing in that the Fed would start to lower rates in the second quarter of next year. Uh, and that would be a positive catalyst for stocks. Then things changed again. As Fed Chair Powell gave a 10-minute speech that clearly said inflation was too high and that the government was still committed to raising interest rates to bring that inflation down. The response from the stock market uh, was a decline by around 8% over the course of two weeks. And that brought us to the year-to-date return through August was the S&P 500 was down uh, 17%. The valuation multiple on the S&P 500 is now around 17 times next 12 months earnings. That's in line with the 25-year average. International stocks are down slightly more than U.S. This is partially explained by the Ukraine-Russian conflict and the negative impact on energy and food costs um, and that inflation in parts of Europe. International stocks are looking more interesting. As the S&P 500 trades at 17 times, international stocks are trading closer to 12 times. Historically, with the U.S. at 17, international should be around 14, 14 and a half. So at 12, they look relatively cheap. Another way to look at relative value is uh, the dividend yield differential. The dividend on U.S. stocks is currently 1.6%. International stocks uh, are now paying nearly three and a half. We have not seen this difference um, of this magnitude in, in at least 20 years. So again, international starting to look relatively attractive uh, to the U.S. That's great, Adam. So much information in that. I'll come back to a bunch of points there. Mike, I want you to help me understand something related to interest rates. Specifically, you mentioned, and well, we hear the term yield curve inversion, but how you explained it, we have a uh, two-year maturing treasury at about 0.2% higher rate uh, of interest than what we're seeing on a 10-year. Adam mentioned that the um, the markets were thinking that the Fed may need to actually cut rates in the future, but then uh, the speech from Powell saying otherwise. Why, if there isn't going to be a rate cut in the future, uh, at least by the market's thoughts, would we see the 10-year bonds paying less interest than a two-year bond? Well, the basic answer to that, Anthony, is you've got two different buyers usually, okay? The short end dominated by banks, money market funds, things like that, that are looking at short-term liabilities. When you go out and you think about a 10-year obligation, most individual investors don't buy that. Some do, but most, most don't. It tends to be much more insurance companies, pension funds, things like that that dominate that market. So you have a different set of market participants but basically, the idea comes down to what do people think about the long term? When you look at the short term and you're looking at a two-year treasury, you're really focused on what's the Fed going to do. They control overnight rates, so you sort of can mathematically say, what are they going to do at the September meeting, the November meeting, the December meeting? And you can get a pretty good idea of what overnight rates are, and then you add a spread to that, and that's what you ought to get on a two-year treasury. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. you look at it that way. Ten-year obligation is saying, wow, over this longer period of time, what, what rate do I have to, to earn to get a fair compensation for tying my money up that long? It's a whole different way of thinking about it. So the rates aren't necessarily going to be, you know, in sync. 
you usually have a positive slope, investors demanding that more return for a longer period of time. About 15 to 20% of the time, you have an inverted curve where short rates are higher than long rates. And when you look at that, it's because investors perceive that no, longer, you know, we've got these short-term inflation pressures and they're real, but that over a longer period of time, the secular forces that have driven down inflation in the past will re-emerge. And so rates will be lower in the future. And, and that's how you get this, where people look and say, yeah, the fair rate on a two-year treasury this morning is 342. The fair rate on a 10-year obligation is 322. So a 20 basis point difference. And for those investors in 10-year obligations, they're saying, hey, I think the Fed eventually will get back. There may be some short-term pain in this, but the Fed will eventually get back to having inflation in that 2 to 3% area and my 322 uh 10-year yield will look pretty good i, I think that love the explanation i i like how you put fair into that sentence of where rates are i'm not sure everybody that's a, a saver with uh bonds or interest in bonds is thinking those 322 rates are fair but uh or, or we'll say maybe independent of the fed but uh, i'll take it so one of the you, things you that history we, anthony where the Fed was involved in the markets and pulled rates down to artificially low levels. I think we're just getting back to more, you know, equilibrium sort of pricing instead of artificial pricing. So I, I think they are closer to fear. That's great. Well, and this that's a perfect uh, lead into this question. And maybe I'll turn it to you, Adam, for the answer. Uh, but it's, an, it's a bond question too, Mike, so feel free to jump in. Um, I've heard in the market that some of the demand uh, or uh, investment firms or commentators saying some of the demand for 10-year treasuries is a hedge against a down equity market, that those 10-year treasuries or longer-term treasuries, even up to a 30, would perform well in a sell-off. Is part of the, the lower yields that we're seeing on those longer-term treasuries a vote of no confidence from the market related to equities, Adam? Uh, maybe in small part. I mean, part of it is, I think Mike alluded to this, that the market is concerned about future growth. Um, that's part of it. And then it, historically, one way to hedge your equity exposure is a longer duration bond like that. So if you think about the market, the stock market selling, off people selling their stocks then you think about what do they do next well they, they probably buy something really safe like a u.s treasury um and so that that's part of it and maybe you know people are getting ahead of that but historically that has been a a pretty good hedge uh for your equity exposure so i'll stay with you adam and well mike you look like you may have a comment on that do you have any other thoughts no i agree okay um Adam, to you with uh, maybe the upside for equities right now, you mentioned earnings in line with 25-year average, but we're seeing relative, well, very low interest rates relative to a 25-year average. What's, uh, what's the outlook for equities going forward? Sure, on, on earnings, the valuation at, at 17 times is in line with, with the average. Um, now that second quarter earnings are, are completed, we did have almost 9% year-over-year growth. That's, that's pretty strong. 
that was better than what was expected at the beginning of that earnings season. By far, the, the standout positive sector was energy. Uh, energy companies grew earnings by almost 300%. Uh, unfortunately, energy is only 4% of the market today, which if you think about that, Apple is by itself is 7.5% of the S&P 500. Microsoft is 6%. Then you have the entire energy sector is 4.3%. But outside energy, uh, industrials did well. 30% earnings growth, very strong. The worst was financials. They had about a 20% contraction uh, in earnings, reported earnings. Sales growth was, was strong also. We had 14% year-over-year growth. All sectors outside of financials showed positive top-line growth. However, the, the forward-looking guidance was a little soft. Uh, future quarters will likely show lower growth or maybe even contraction. 2023 estimated uh, EPS, earnings per share, was lowered by about $10 per share uh, throughout the earnings season. Expectations are now that the S&P 500 earnings growth in, in 2023 will be 8% instead of 10. We, it's likely maybe estimates are, are still too high and they'll continue to drift lower. Next month, when companies report third quarter results, we'll see if um, there's, they continue to be revised lower. But looking at next year, 8% earnings growth is, is, is pretty darn strong. Right. Some reason for optimism. Um, Adam, I'll come back to you in just a minute with a some commentary about uh, domestic versus international. You talked about the yields and the uh, multiples there, but Mike, you have some thoughts or maybe you can give us some guidance into 2023 of what will the geopolitical risks that we're going to see um, over the next maybe 18 months. Can you speak to that? Yes, they're gonna be really intense. We've got the situation with Russia and Ukraine, and that always has the potential for expansion. The China-Taiwan situation seems to have increased in, in terms of uh, negative um, situation there. And you can really watch that by, by looking at the chip companies. Uh, a lot of the uh, semiconductor chips are, are there in, in Taiwan, and so um, they have like a 50% market share there. So you're going to see Taiwan Semiconductor and companies like that uh, be part of, involved in, in sort of what happens there. And then you also have Iran and the situation there between the U.S. and the U.S., Israel, and Iran. And all three of those are sort of bringing intensity to what's going on sort of globally. So that, that factors in along with a political election um, that's going to play out. And so you've got just a lot of things going on. I think one thing that quietly goes unnoticed is the situation in India, uh, returns in India. We've, we've noticed over the last year as, as things in China ha have, have gotten more difficult to invest in, India has improved and, uh, you know, their return uh, is positive this year, up a little over 3% compared to the emerging market index uh, of down 17% or more. So you've seen sort of a noticeable uh, positive there. But in general, the geopolitical risks are, are a negative for the market. Sure. Adam, 
you made really interesting comments about the cost of global equities. And so if you could speak to that and then you tie in also something related to the comments you made about the importance of staying invested in stocks. You mentioned the big boost in returns throughout summer relative to the rest of the year and the importance of not missing those. Can you tackle both of those? Sure. The international equities, it's it's just a, it's a different source of return in your portfolio, um, number one. And number two, I think you can point to a couple of things that make it look extra attractive today. You know, Mike talked about the U.S. dollar being really strong. Uh, that explains in large part why international equities have had poor results over the last decade relative to U.S. stocks. You know, if, if you think maybe that strength in the dollar has to reverse after um, being at a 20-year high, then international equities would, would, would um, do favorably well. That yield differential at, at nearly twice as high is attractive. And then when just in general, if you buy a, a stock at 12 times earnings in, instead of a growth stock at 24 times in, in the U.S., you, you have a greater margin of safety. I mean, you know, maybe a limit, more limited downside. So we think the risk reward on the inter international equities is, is starting to look good. And we like that it's a differentiated source of return for the portfolio. Um, as far as staying invested, you know, if you look historically, you know, pick a time period, whether it's 20 years, 25 years, that S&P 500, that U.S. stock market has, has generated a really nice return, uh, double-digit return, you know, 10 or 11%. The fixed income market in the U.S. has generated a return of, of 5 or 6%. And then a blended portfolio of both asset classes is, is historically down about 8 or 9%. Um, but if you look on any given calendar year, you, you probably didn't earn the average return. You had some good years and you had some bad years, but you had mostly, mostly good years. Um, you know, about 80% of the time, the stock market finishes with a, with a positive return. But the issue is in any given year, there's usually a drawdown. And that drawdown historically has been about 14%. So the price you pay for that double digit return is, is having to stomach that drawdown that almost comes every year. Um, so staying invested, looking long term is, is how you achieve those, achieve those returns. Um, if you think about, you know, we, we've, we've talked about recessions and, 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 and that kind of leads to the conversation about timing. Um, but I think a couple of things are interesting. If you bought into the stock market and held it for a 20 year period uh, on any given day and you held it for 20 years, historically, you've always made money. You've always had a positive return. And further, if you look at um, if you bought into um, the stock market at the beginning of the recession, say you had maybe some, some poor timing, but you held it for 10 years, you, you still made money. And so I think the answer is thinking long-term and being strategic. And if you're in a position where you can dollar cost average and put money to work over time, you, historically you've had really nice results. It's, uh, I love the case for it. In it's uh, it's certainly consistent with all the information we see. Thank you, Adam. Mike, we saw some interesting payroll numbers come out in August. Do you mind taking a minute to talk about uh, how those payroll numbers might be, how maybe employers can think about those payroll numbers and their impact on the economy? Sure. This, this month's number is really solid. Payrolls were up 315,000. 
the expectations going into the number. Nowadays, everybody really watches it versus a set of expectations that are out there. We're up 300,000, so a little bit stronger. The unemployment rate was 3.7 versus an expectation of 3.5. I think the, the most positive thing from an employer perspective is the participation rate increase. So we got more people coming back into the labor force. So when you look at it, the participation rate increased from to 62.4. And more importantly to me, the age group between 24 and 54, that rose to 82.8%. So that's a noticeable difference. And the team participation surged. So we're getting more people back into the labor force. And if you're in a, you know, we, if you go back to my original comments at the beginning of the podcast, there were these five themes. One of those themes is that labor is scarce. And as more people come back into the labor force, that's a, that's a positive for employers. So that's, that's how I would sort of view this month's report was really good. Well, I love some good news from you, uh, Mike. I'm going to come to Adam with a topic that is rarely said in the same sentence as good news since recession. But it's something we hear people talk about lately, whether it's on TV or in meetings. Um, what is it looking like, the probability of recession? If you don't necessarily have to put a specific number on. Um, and then in the past, how have um, recessions affected earnings and, and markets? Yeah, recessions. Um, so we've already seen two quarters of negative GDP, but indicators used by the NBER uh, have not signaled a recession yet. Well, activity has certainly slowed. I don't think we've seen the full impacts of the tightening yet, um, especially on the consumer. But it's interesting, uh, a nationally recognized research provider, Strategus, recently surveyed I think it was 600 institutional investors. What they found was nine out of 10 of them believe that we'll likely have a recession by the end of next year, which I think is a little surprising. But <clears throat> I think the important question isn't, uh, you know, will we be in a recession this year or next year? I, I think what's more important is, because we all know it'll, it'll eventually happen. We just don't know when. I think what's more important is how severe is it going to be? And, and, you know, importantly, how long is it going to last? So in a typical recession, Earnings uh, fall 30%, but not all companies decline by 30%. Uh, a small group of companies can actually grow earnings. Uh, others will fail to have any earnings, meaning they'll, they'll lose money during the recession, but the average is 30. The, the range um, is down a pretty moderate three or 4%, slight contraction. And some recessions are very severe and earnings are down over 50%. You know, you look at what's expected next year, um, we talked about 8% earnings growth. So I would argue that a recession is not priced into the market currently. But I think people have to remember, markets don't always decline in recessions. Um, they often decline before the recession, but, but not always during. Plus, it's important to remember that um, markets tend to perform well after the recession. You know, 90% of the time, the market was positive the year after the recession. And the average return one year later was, was 16%, which is a, an above average year. Well, Adam, I sure appreciate the guidance, Mike and Adam. 
Um, I always learn something from you both when we have the opportunity to talk. I'll turn it to you in just a moment, both for some parting thoughts, but thank you to our audience for joining us. We always appreciated our time with you. As always, please contact anyone on our Nikolai Wealth Management team. If there's any additional detail you want, you want some time with Mike, Adam, me, or anybody else on the team, contact us. We'll be happy to help you with anything you need. Mike, any parting thoughts from you? Sure. It's interesting as we come out of the summer months to notice that gasoline prices are down over a dollar a barrel when you look at it across the country. And that's going to give consumers more uh, spendable money to, to spend on other things. And so I think that's a positive that goes sort of unnoticed in this uh, world right now. So positive. I love the silver linings, Mike. Adam. Sure. We know, and I think we all can agree, inflation is remaining high and the economy is beginning to slow down. So we, we understand that. And we've done quite a bit of work to position our portfolios to, to do well in that environment. And, and that's going to enable us to, to, to stay invested and, and catch that rebound uh, when it inevitably will come. I like it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. We'll talk again. And thank you, audience, for joining us.